I'm Karen Lewis, and welcome to Recovery Bites, a show that gets real about recovery, where we welcome voices in the field and voices of experience. Join me for candid interviews with experts in eating disorder and mental health recovery. Listeners can look forward to new perspectives, meaningful conversations, diverse connections, and compelling personal narratives that make a powerful difference in how we live. Episodes focus on life beyond recovery, the good and the not so good, the successes and the challenges, and the authentic accounts of recovered lives. Not their whole story, just bites. All right, everyone, here we go. Another really beautiful episode. My guest for today is Carrie Baldwin. And Carrie is the author of the book, I Dragonfly, a memoir of recovery and flight. And wait till you all hear what we talk about in this episode. The main thing that we cover is what it's like being a mother of young children and trying to go through the recovery process. Tough enough going through it when we're only caring for ourselves. Now with three young children trying to recover, trying to heal, trying to nurture oneself. It is quite a complicated yet well worth task. I think you're all going to really enjoy this. So let's just jump right in. Here we go. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Recovery Bites. I am really, really happy to be here with our guest today, Carrie Baldwin. Carrie, welcome to the show. Thank you, Karen. I'm so excited and very honored to be here. So I am I am thrilled. Carrie, you are the author of I Dragonfly, a memoir of recovery and flight. And the book talks about what it's like being a parent of young children and going through the eating disorder recovery. I also want to say it talks about a lot more than just that, but that is something that sticks out for me. Carrie, please introduce yourself to the listeners. Well, uh, you could say, well, some people would say that I am very much a person of the written word. Um, I just had a conversation with a friend very recently about how one of my most beloved toys when I was a kid was the speak and spell. I don't know if you're familiar with that one, Karen, where the uh, computerized voice uh, says a word and you have to spell it out. And so pretty much my uh, professional trajectory was sealed with that one. And so I have been um, working as a book editor, a medical editor, and I also dabble in some writing projects. Um, some things are available for public consumption. Uh, many have not seen the light of day. That's all right. Um, but my, uh, what I'm most proud of is my most substantial work, which is the memoir. And yes, all of this happens while I have three children um, who are now, I have two my fraternal twin daughters who are now 11 and my son who is now 14. You know, you and I were talking before we started recording and there's so many things I want to talk about in this episode. I think my first question is, is what motivated you to write the book? What motivated you to write the memoir and what message were you hoping to get across? Uh, What motivated me to write the book was that I couldn't find a book that talked about the the actual recovery process. I had read a handful of some of the best um, eating disorder uh, memoirs, but they were largely about being eating disordered and and the train wreck that that experience is. Um, 
But so many of them would end with, okay, well, then I decided to recover and epilogue. Oh, everything is better now. And I was like, wait, what? What do you mean you just choose it? I've been trying to choose it for so long. Um, and so when I was able to find the the door handle, if you will, to get out of that space, and I entered and I started recovering and I put so much into it and so much was coming out of it. And so very quickly, I thought this is far more fascinating than um, than the the downhill that is the being eating disordered. And I so I felt like I I should put this out into the world. And I was also very involved with some uh, some eating disorder recovery message boards and many members on there were encouraging me and very much wanted this book. Like, when are you going to write this book? When's your book coming out? And that kept me going. Um, so I put it out there as, um, you know, to show what the process, the nitty gritty of the process, um, what it entails and what you can get out of it. And not that everyone's process looks the same, of course not. And, um, and of course, writing it itself was a therapeutic process because in writing it, I mean, it took me, um, while I began writing it only a few months into the process, I never imagined everything that was actually going to come out of it. And, uh, and so in working through all of that, I had to um, deepen my understanding of myself and what had all the factors that had led to, the, um, to becoming entrenched in the eating disorder itself. What was it like for you? And correct me if I'm wrong with the age. I think it was at 23 when you were diagnosed or when you started recognizing. Like I have clients that are in their early 20s and they feel like they've lost so much of their life and their life is over and they've done so many therapeutic, you know, programs and whatnot. And you're just getting started at 23. Do you remember what that felt like? Yes, it was, it was very weird I, in, in, the, in, the, in the sense that I never expected to become eating disordered. Um, I had gone through, you know, my adolescence, teen years, college years, being pretty okay with my body, you know, not a lot of dieting or trying to modify that. So I didn't really understand what was going on with me for a while. Why was I trying to control these things? Why was it becoming so obsessive? Why did I, why was I losing so much weight? Why couldn't I stop? And so it took a while for me to realize that was what was going on. And, um, and then I spent much of the 10 years between 23 and, and 33, when I began recovering, trying to manage it because I couldn't figure out how to stop it completely. So it was a matter of, okay, well, how can I continue my life and continue behaving in these ways? And so many of those behaviors are so normalized. Anyway, it's almost like, where's the line between, um, uh, just being health conscious or, uh, or whatever, and, uh, and being eating disordered. So um, while in a sense, yes, I do feel like I was not fully engaged in my life and what I was doing. But at the same time, I was succeeding in jobs. I got married. I had children, you know, things, things still progressed, um, you know, along a, um, say a, traditionally typical adultish path, if you will. And, um, you know, it, it wasn't until when I was 33 and I just realized that there, there was no managing this anymore, that it was, it was only downhill and it was never going to get better. Um, you know, that was the point at which I decided I, I really, really, really needed to do something about it. Was there something that you can tell listeners? Like, I want to be careful. I don't want to give away your whole book and be like, tell them this and tell them that. But was there something in particular at age 33? Were you tired? Did something significant happen? Or was it just, and when I say just, forgive me, that's very invalidating, but, or did you get to a point where it just, you were exhausted? Um, 
it was just, it mostly was just being exhausted. And, and at the time, you know, there were some stressful um, events leading up to that and experiencing that I was just, you know, anytime anything stressful came along, I would just latch on harder to the eating disorder, which is very common and um, is pretty much the mechanism of it. And I'm just like, this is just, this is never getting better. I am never going to be okay. And, um, you know, it was, there was just digging around on the internet and coming across some more specific information about recovering that I hadn't before. And I don't know, it all just kind of clicked in my head and I just knew that's what I was going to do. And that was kind of it for me. And, um, and then there, there was just no going back at that point. Um, not that it was easy. Yeah. Yeah. I also think, and, and we talked about this a little bit before, I think you, you, and I don't want to speak for you, but you hit a wall of exhaustion between the eating disorder, working, being a mother, being a wife, what a lot of parents go through when they are trying to recover and be a mother. So I just thought this was a really powerful part. So you wrote, uh, this is after an appointment, I spent the rest of the day curled on the couch, breathing deeply and crying. Of course, I hadn't wanted to be diagnosed with a life-threatening heart attack, but I began to understand that a scared, tired part of me wished to be carted to a hospital to just lie there and let my body heal like the sick thing that it was, monitored by nurses and doctors who would ensure that I wasn't deficient in any vitamins. I wanted to be somewhere I wasn't expected to run the work week marathon of eating, resting, editing, and caring for three children among school babysitters, preparing meals, doctor's visits, diaper changes. I didn't want to be the caregiver of me too. I wanted someone else to be in charge and ferry me along. In flashing moments, I wished to be child-free just so I could enter inpatient treatment without the guilt and heartbreak of leaving my kids behind. But I had to carry it all. Carrie, that part stuck out to me. It is difficult enough being an individual with an eating disorder. Then add on all the other things we just talked about. How did you do it? What? what and when I say, how did you do it? I don't mean like, can you give us the instructions? Because it, it would be, you know, that would be very easy. But first of all, before I ask that, do you remember what you felt like at this moment when you were experiencing this? Do you remember that moment? Oh, absolutely. I, um, it was after I thought I had a, my very first panic attack. I had never had one before. And of course, now I understand why, because I was so disconnected from my body that any stress I had just funneled straight into restriction and exercise. And so I was panicking at everything that was happening. And I drove myself to the doctor and I, I thought for sure I was having a heart attack. And um, and I, I wasn't obviously. And I came home, and uh, my husband at the time he left work early and came home. But, but I, I knew that he wasn't going to just stay home from that point on. That the next day I would get up, I would be dealing with two two-year-olds and a five-year-old, and all the preschool schedules and the and the diapers and the feedings and all of the things. Um, I did. I just wanted to be taken care of, and. And to feel like, no, I am, I have to be caretaking of these children. And so how do I also take care of myself? How do I recover when I can't do all the resting that I should be doing for my body? I, I do have to endure this, all of the, um, the fiery pain that I felt in my hands and my legs and my feet for such a long time. And inpatient didn't feel like an option at all to me. I didn't explore it. I 
said, okay, this is what you have to do. You're just going to have to do all the things as best you can. And I know I write a little bit later in the book about how I had to be a little less of all the other things. I took um, my workload down a notch. I, um, I asked my husband at the time to do more um, caretaking of the children when he was home and he did. And I, so that meant I would be, I was playing with them less than I would have otherwise. And um, there was definitely guilt involved in that, but I understood that for the long haul, this was the right thing to do. I'm imagining that, or actually I wanna, I wanna ask it differently. How did you explain it to your children that suddenly you were pulling back because I'm imagining that there was the mommy, mommy, come and do this and do that. And so now we're dealing with a lot of guilt on top of the eating disorder. How did you navigate through that? How did you explain things to your children? And granted, they were very young, but even more difficult because they don't, they don't can't really understand. Right. So at the time, I didn't explain anything about the actual eating disorder recovery to them, but I mostly, it was just telling them I'm tired. You know, I'm tired. I I can't right now. I have to lay down. Um, and I just kind of muddled through that way. What was it like for you pulling back on all of these things that, Often people are, you know, have a hard time asking for help in one area of their life and you were asking for help in all areas, which by the way, good for you, Carrie. I mean, that's really courageous and vulnerable. How did it feel for you to do that? That was particularly difficult for me because I try to think of myself and act as a very self-sufficient person. Like I can get all the things done. Um, you know, up until that point, um, acquaintances or friends, they would look at me and say, oh my gosh, Carrie, I don't know how you do it. How do you have these tiny babies and this toddler and you seem so put together. And so I was actually glued together by an eating disorder. (laughs) And, um, so to suddenly have your body, your body changing so rapidly and people seeing that. And, um, and asking for a reprieve from work and a reprieve from, from so much was really difficult. Um, and, but I think that was also a very important part of the process because, um, as I explain later in the book, one of the biggest lessons that I learned through the recovery process was surrender. Um, being able to set, to allow the process to unfold as it does and ask for help when, when you need help and rest when you need rest. And it isn't a race. I don't need to always hand in my paper first on the teacher's desk. And, um, and that's something that I, I do carry with me today. It's interesting. I really like that metaphor or analogy that like, it's not a race. I don't have to be the one to put my paper on the teacher's desk first. And often people that are struggling or I don't, I don't want to say often, but common trait is perfectionism, wanting everything to be done, highly motivated, things like that. And, you know, even that with the recovery process. And I would imagine it's even more, I'm going to say, oh, time consuming, but please, everybody, that's not really the right word I want to use, but for the sake of this conversation, or just challenging with children, with a husband, with a job. But I I mostly mean the children because they were so young. And as a parent, you're also, as a parent, you're running around all the time, running after them when you're supposed to be following a meal plan or, you know, feeding yourself adequately in a way that, you know, 
it's it's not it's not your time when you're not on your time, I guess, when you have young children and twins at that. It must have been very challenging. I also want to say, though, it really speaks to how hard you worked and how much you wanted to recover. Were there times when you were just like, I can't do this? There were times when I felt like I, how, how, yeah, how long do I have to do this for? And as you, as you said so accurately, having young children, you are inherently busy and stressed and balancing all of these, all of these needs of all of these little people who are just running around doing their own thing and they don't care what you, what you want or what you need at the time. It was, it was, it was very, it was very difficult. And I, I specifically remember, and I emphasize this in the book, a point about six months into recovery, when I went to go, um, I visited a specialist that was recommended to me by my therapist. And she ran all this blood work and saw where I was, and I'm showing her my swollen legs. And, and I wanted her to tell me, okay, you're almost done. And she said, well, you probably have at least six more months of this. And I was devastated. I drove home absolutely devastated. I wanted to be done. I wanted to be a fully engaged mother to my children. I wanted to be able to go for walks again, just around my neighborhood and not be completely exhausted the rest of the day. I wanted to move in through the world and see a body and that looked familiar to me and so i i had a moment where i thought about giving up and it was kind of that dark night of the soul that i think a lot of people need to have along these journeys where you face the temptation of turning back but at the same time i imagined well what am i turning back to and I, I imagined like what I was like before and what it would look like. And it's like, no way. It's an absolute nightmare that will never end. This is a maybe kind of nightmare that will end. Um, so, so faced with the choice, I chose to press on as, as difficult and as um, extended as that process was. You know, I say that to my clients often, that the discomfort that you're in right now, at least we know that's temporary. It feels like it's forever. And I'm saying it as someone who's recovered from an eating disorder and someone who's worked with eating disorders. This discomfort feels like it'll last forever, but it won't. What will last forever, though, is the eating disorder if you keep going back and saying, enough, I can't do this anymore. Because the other thing is, is you're never going to, you're never going to understand that you can push through. You're going to hit a certain threshold and go up. Oh, this is the threshold where I always relapse back. And you're going to assume that's your limit. And it's not true. You can push through. And that's a, talking about like the, the discomfort is temporary. And the discomfort is not just the physical discomfort, but also the emotional discomfort that comes from all of this exploration that we're doing of ourselves. That, by the way, I don't know about you, but my eating disorder kept hidden from me for a really long time because I didn't want to look at these things. And I had an idea that if I didn't look at them, they weren't happening. And as you know, that's not the truth. So it's, it is very uncomfortable. I don't know if you have anything to say to that or. Oh yeah. I mean, I, um, that was another big part of why I decided to write the book was having all of these revelations about who I was and what was going on with me and all, all how all of these things connected. And, um, so you know, that was another factor in, you know, the busyness of that, of that recovery time. I, I spent a lot of time talking to my therapist about all of these, uh, all of the realizations that I was having about my, um, my family of origin, 
my marriage, um, who I was, what I wanted to do. And she and I almost never talked about food because we didn't need to. I was already doing the eating. That was going fine. It was everything else that needed to be discussed. Um, so it kind of opened up a whole other dimension to myself that, you know, like, as you were describing your experience, that you just didn't tap into or didn't even look at. Um, so I, I definitely have carried that forward, that experience of continual growth and constantly, just constantly trying to understand myself better. It's, it's a pretty powerful process, which, you know, we, we touched on a little bit before you and I started recording. Somebody had asked me once, you know, if you had to do it over again, you know, would you not have an eating disorder? And I'm like, that's kind of an impossible question because do I want to have suffered? No. Did I want to put my family through this? No. Did I also learn a tremendous amount about who I am? what I want, what my desires are, where my boundaries are. I also don't think you need to go through an eating disorder to find it. For whatever reason, that was the path that I took. Did you find that that is what you experienced? And it sounds like you did when you were saying you started recognizing. It's almost like that was that was your growth and development was there when you were, you know, in your early 30s, which by the way, happened for me. I didn't, my growth didn't come until long after I was recovered. Yeah. I, um, I've been, you know, I've said this for a, a long time now that I, well, of course I would never want myself or anyone to have to go through, um, the experience of an eating disorder. At the same time, I have developed a really a radical forgiveness for that experience. Um, being grateful for it because under more, you know, say normal circumstances of being not eating disordered, perhaps I wouldn't have grown as much as I did. Perhaps when I reached, you know, 34, 35, I would not have been as actualized. I don't really know. Um, so yes, I, I, I am, it's maybe it's a little easier for me to say this almost 10 years after starting recovery and living a, you know, a very recovered life, if you will, and uh, hardly ever thinking about it at this point. But um, yes, I, I, I am actually grateful for it. I want to, I want to switch gears a little bit, take a little bit of a turn and ask as a parent who has been through this, what is it like raising three incredible souls that are still subject to the environment, to the media, to pressures, to anxiety, to diet culture? What is it like as a parent raising these three wonderful children? Um, I think that being a eating disorder recovered parent is, I mean, one of a, a wonderful gift to children that you have. I, um, my husband and I, we spend a good amount of time at, at dinner when things come up about food, um, emphasizing that all foods are good and we don't have any, you know, forbidden foods. And it's more about how your body feels when you eat it and how we need a variety of foods um, for our bodies to function well, to feel good, to do the things we want to do. And um, so I have the opportunity to try to inoculate my children against the diet and um, weight type messages that are so prevalent. We talk about how um, bodies you know, healthy, worthy bodies come in all different sizes um, and different colors. And um, I get the chance to talk about these things in, in a more direct way that I hope 
that they will absorb. And that also in an indirect way, because they see me moving through the world, eating whatever looks good, not measuring things, um, not restricting certain things or saying, oh no, like I can't eat that piece of cake that's that's too big, or I'm not lamenting uh, parts of my body and their size. Um, in talking about my body in, um, in neutral terms, it is more about what we can do and fun we can have together and exercise in terms of let's go for a bike ride. Um, let's go ice skating. Let's go play badminton in the backyard. And, um, so there, there are those, uh, there are those opportunities. There's more specific opportunities that happen when, um, sometime a few times my girls uh, came home for eating and they look at a package and say oh this has x number of calories and I say well what does that mean to you and they're like I don't know you know people are talking about that I think you know and we talk about how that just means how much energy it will give your body that's a good thing you know and you don't need to worry about the number that's on things um just uh, a couple of months ago my son who is in middle school, he came home and specifically brought to my attention an assignment about BMI that was, um, yes, in, <laughs> I can see your face, uh, in, in his health class. And he said, yeah, mom, so we talked about BMI. And I said, okay, you know, what, what does that mean to you? What do you understand? And, um, and he said, you know, I, I didn't know my weight or my height. So I just guess, <laughs> of course, he's growing like, you know, five inches a day, it seems like at this point. So I don't know what his height or weight is either. And so the assignment was to calculate your BMI, find it on the chart and see where, where you fall, you know, normal, underweight, over, yes. And then um, write about what you're going to do with that information. And I was so grateful that he came and told me about this. And I think he, I think he brought it to my attention because he knew I wouldn't like it, <laughs> and I did not. the The happy ending to the story is that I did con contact his health teacher with some basic information about, you know, why bringing up weight with children is not, and you know, the APA's statement from 2016 about this, and um, and the teacher did end up retracting the assignment and scratching it from future lesson plans, so. So there is a happy ending there. And of course, of course, with my children, we had, this was at dinner time, so it was great. So we're all there. Let's talk about what BMI is. Let's talk about its origins. Let's talk about what it means for an individual, which is nothing. And, um, and, and, and it was great. I got to, I got to talk about that. And so I feel, I feel very fortunate that I do have these opportunities, especially because um, because of the high heritability of eating disorders, there is a decent chance that one or more of my children um, can be carrying a predisposition. So um, so I I feel like the, you know there's such an opportunity there, um, and there is just this general experience of in being a recovered person in having developed this connectedness within yourself, with your body, with your emotions, um, in developing an authenticity, in learning to trust yourself, that I can see now, now that my children are, you know, they're in middle school and my son's going into high school, they are learning to trust themselves. And that is one of the most heartening things to get to see is your kids, feeling comfortable around you because, because I trust myself and I show them that I trust them, then they see that they should also be trusting themselves. And um, so my dynamic with them is really gratifying. And, um, and it's just really exciting to get to see them growing up with confidence um, in themselves in, you know, hopefully always. I don't mean to go back, but I think I'm still trying to process the assignment that your son had about not only 
about calculating it. But what really got me was the part where the teacher said, and then write, what are you going to do about it? What kind of message is that to give to anyone, especially, excuse me, I had a hard time with the word, everybody, because I'm, I'm so, I'm so upset about this, especially impressionable young kids who are already going through incredible body changes and are a little uncomfortable in their body as it is. Did your I and forgive me, I don't know why I'm so I'm so invested in this question, but did your did your son do the assignment and 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 what did he say and hopefully what his answer was? I'm gonna do nothing about my BMI or whatever. Oh. Right. Um he I, I think he this yeah, there was the in in-class assignment and then the homework part of it. And so the homework part of it was to, I guess, write about it and uh, I don't, I don't think he even got that far. Um, yes, I was absolutely, I mean, I saw red when he told me this, you know, of course, just talking about BMI at all. And I mean, with anyone, but especially with, with adolescents, like you said, their bodies are changing constantly. Um, and so I, um, yeah, he did not, uh, he didn't get that far in in the assignment, and I I I was really hesitant because I I try not to be that parent that complains to teachers. I I usually encourage my kids to c- talk to their own teachers about you know about assignments, about what's happening, and I try to like let them handle it for the most part. But as soon as I saw this, I was like, oh no, like there are so many kids who are going to go home or, you know, log off their uh, Google classroom today and now think that there's something they're supposed to do about their size. And so that prompted me to, uh, you know, to contact the teacher and, um, and, you know, he ultimately, he agreed that it was it was too fraught of a topic, if you will, um, to, uh, to continue with that. I, yeah, I, I'm sorry. I just, I couldn't let that one part go by without sort like you saw the expression on my face as you were describing it. I don't think listeners couldn't. So I was just like, hang on a second. It is unbelievable. I'm, I'm trying to think, I, I don't remember myself when I was younger in school, having them do things like that. I do remember us all getting weighed in the cafeteria. Do you remember what it was like when you were younger going through and the, and the influences these, these situations had on you? I remember what I was wearing one year when I was in the cafeteria standing in line to get weighed by the nurse. Yes, those things stick with us. I specifically remember being in first grade so I was six and in the classroom having to get on a scale. And I remember the number because I remember it was like the first time I was ever aware of what my weight was. And I didn't know if it was good or bad. Like I was looking around at my friend, trying to figure out like for my friends, like, well, what are you or what, trying to figure out like, where, where do I fit in this? Is this okay? Why are we worried about this? you know, in like a sixth grade mentality, I mean, sorry, a six-year-old mentality, um, which isn't all that sophisticated, but being, being confused, like there was suddenly this piece of information that I guess I'm supposed to care about. I don't really remember it much after that, but I, I do remember that experience. And I think that that does stick with kids. What is their first experience of, is your body size okay? I also want to point something out that I think is interesting. You said you were confused. So you looked around at your friends to see, first of all, do I fit in to their body sizes? So now we're already starting to compare. What is their expression from their weight and my weight, which by the way, and and this is where sometimes when you're six years old, you look to others to figure out how do I respond to this? And you realize kids are very impressionable. So if someone in their house, whether it's a mother or a father or an aunt or a grandparent, 
if they get on the scale every day and make a negative, like, oh boy, don't like that number. That's what that little person is going to do when they're in school saying, oh, look at that number. Now you're looking at that person and saying, oh, that must be the right way to respond. Oh, I don't like that number. Do you see how it just trickles down so quietly, but so powerfully? I, I don't know if you have any thoughts about anything to share or anything that resonates, but that's what I was thinking of as you were sharing that experience. Yes, there it, it does really happen in, a, in in such a quiet way, in uh, in seeing your own parents, other adults in your life. Um, I recall I I took dance lessons for ten years from when I was five until I was about fourteen or fifteen, I guess. And there was a lot of I mean, there was so much attention to your body, and dance teachers. Um, you know, talking about, you know, just noting differences and, and never in a good way, <laughs> you know, you're to this or move her this way. And, you know, it's like, well, I can't really make my butt any smaller, you know, and, and there, what, there was no changing that. And, um, that is why it is, it is so important to me that, that in my household, we do not talk about bodies negatively your own body, someone else's body, you know, your sister, your brother, you know, anyone else, um, you know, that is not something that we do. And I, I just, you know, I just hope that enough of that gains traction for my kids, that they will be able to hopefully sufficiently brush off uh, the forces and the comments and um, things that will, um, that will challenge that as now, at the ages that they are now and and going forward. I also want to point out that as a parent, you cannot shade your child or guard your child from all of the external things that are going to come their way, but you can be a safe home, a safe harbor. You can be someone that doesn't add to it. I was with somebody about a week ago who has very young children, a four-year-old and a seven-year-old. And this mother was perpetually on a diet because that's what we do in our culture. You're always on a diet. And just once her daughter said, mommy, why do you eat differently than us at dinner? And that Brilliant woman said, I'm never dieting again. My children are not going to grow up in a home where I'm eating, I'm just throwing this out, cottage cheese while they're having burgers. And forgive me, everyone, there's no reason why I use those two things. But, and I thought, that's, that's a, I also want to say that's a strong human being that, by the way, they still have to fight against culture. But it is a decision that this woman made. And she said, I will never do that again. My daughter already recognized. You look like you're agreeing with yeah, it. Yeah, I, I, I am. And um, I'm just reminded that so many of the people who happen to reach out to me through the internet about my book are parents of young children who say, I've been living with this. I can't model this for them. I can't bear to think of my children um, developing these behaviors and going through what I am going through and have been going through. So in choosing recovery, they are making the choice to transfer the compassion they have for their children to themselves, to have the compassion of, I don't want this to happen to my children. Well, how about you don't want it to happen to you anymore? you know, doing it for yourself and doing it for them. And that's what I chose myself. Carrie, that is so beautiful. And it's true. It's, it's, we do need to do it for ourselves. And by the way, the trickle effect will then be it. It's for our children as a result of us being healthy minded people, you know, men, women, whatever, as, as models to children. I'm wondering 
how you have discussed this with your children, the book, what you've experienced, things like that. Yeah, I I worried about that for a long time. It, my kids were only, like I said, uh, two years old and five years old when I started the process. So there wasn't really any discussion about what was going on. I mean, they weren't even old enough to really notice that I was eating more than anyone else. So when my, when my book came out, my daughters were eight and my son was 11. And I wasn't sure right then what I wanted to say or how I wanted to talk about it. Of course, they were very interested, like, oh, mommy has a book, you know, and I would just say, oh, it's for adults. And, you know, I don't like to do that kind of thing, but it felt like in this case, okay, maybe that's all right slash appropriate. Um, so, but of course my kids are older now. They're internet savvy. They have found the existence of my book online. They can use the internet. So um, I did end up talking with them about it uh, just this winter. It came up and it was, um, I talked about it in pretty general terms. My book does touch on a lot of more adult themes, if you will. So kind of hoping they'll be like 35 when they decide to read it. If I, uh, if I got to choose, it probably won't happen, but, um, I, they were very, um, it was a very, it was a cursory conversation and I plan on it being a series of conversations. They're very interested in this podcast. They're very excited for me. Um, they're very quiet in their rooms right now and they can't wait to hear what I have to say. And I, I was very impressed at how accepting they were when I explained it. And um, I was worried that they would think I was weird for having, for having this, like, this sounds like a really bad disease, or I didn't know how it would, how it would come across. And I think that, as I talked about earlier in the podcast, it only bolsters that sense of trust and that relationship that I would tell them about something so painful that existed mostly before their time with me. And um, it just felt really, really good. Um, and uh, so you asked, one of the first questions you asked me was, why did you write this book? I also wrote it for them. And I, I want them to read it one day and, and, experience, and experience as much as they can um, what, I, what I went through. Not that I ever want them to go through that specifically, but I would love for them to go through whatever, pro whatever process, whatever journey, whatever path it takes where they gain their own authenticity, where they develop themselves as fully as they can. Um, and, uh, so yeah, so it's, um, you know, it's, it's been really interesting to, uh, to have, uh, to have kids to, to talk about this with. Do they fully understand what an eating disorder is? Meaning, do they understand that it's more than either restricting food or binging food or your body type that there's stuff that's going on underneath or is that a little too much for them to to grasp onto um i think that is probably part of the next conversation that i'll have with them um to me it feels a little bit like having sex conversations with kids and you start off at a certain level and they get to a certain and you move up the ladder to where you're actually talking about um, you know, consent and birth control and all of those things. And so we're, you know, we're kind of at the, well, this part goes into this part, <laughs> part of the, if I could use that as an analogy. And um, so, so that part will, that will come. And I am, I am, I mean, of course, a little bit terrified, <laughs> but, but also looking forward to having that conversation with them. I 
I think that they're going to they're going to understand or actually what I want to say is I think after listening to this podcast, they're going to ask you, where does this part go into that part? (laughs) (laughs) Whether you think they're ready for it or not, I think you just you just open the door for that. So I I just wanted to throw that out there, Carrie. (laughs) Yeah, that's all right. That's okay. I uh, I don't mind. I don't mind answering their questions. And I think they, they they know that and they trust that I will answer their questions honestly. Yeah. Which is wonderful. Wonderful. Carrie, it has been such a pleasure. We are going to start winding down the podcast. Is there anything that I didn't ask that you'd like to share or anything you'd want to tell listeners? Um, I can't think of anything, but thank you so much for having me. Carrie, it's been an absolute pleasure. Don't think you're getting off this easily though. I still have a final question. I like the way you're like, thank you so much for having me. Good night. No, 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 no. (laughs) So Carrie, my question for you is if someone were to write about you on a bathroom stall, what would it say? Um, Someone might say for a real time call and put my number in and it might be a real good time. It might be a real fun time. Uh, it might be a real intense time, but regardless, I will bring my full self to whatever our interaction is. I love it. I love it so much for a real time call, Carrie. Carrie, again, thank you so much for being a guest on the show. Thank you, Karen. All right, everyone, that does it for another episode of Recovery Bites. I look forward to speaking with each and every one of you next week. Take care and stay safe. We hope you enjoyed this week's episode of Recovery Bites. Be sure to visit recoverybitespodcast.com to join the conversation, access show notes, listen to past episodes, and more. You can also find us by searching for Recovery Bites on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and major podcast streaming players. For weekly episode releases, you can follow us at at Recovery Bites Pod on Instagram. If you're interested in becoming a guest on the show or to submit a guest request, please visit KarenLewisEDC.com forward slash podcast sign up to begin the process. I'd also like to send out a heartfelt thank you to my producer, Jen Galvin. It is unbelievable the magic she does behind the scenes. All right, everyone. See you next week for another Recovery Bite. Thanks for listening.